I'm pulling out of the parking lot. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. And I dropped my son off at camp. Okay, so today, um, recently, uh, I just posted a podcast where I talked all about flashback and the history of flashback. And people liked it. And they said, do more podcasts about mechanics. So today, I'm going to talk all about scry. Okay, so let me start by saying what scry is. Uh, it's now evergreen. We'll talk about how it got to evergreen. But just in case you don't know. Okay, so scry n, n being a number, means look at the top n cards of your library, and then you may put any number of them on the bottom of your library in any order you like, and any number of them on the top of your library in any order you like. So let's say I scry for three. I would look at the top three cards. I then could put one, two, or three cards on the bottom of my library if I wish, in any order. And then I could put one, two, or three cards on the top of my library in any order. Um, so today, so I want to start with an uh, interesting story of how a top deck in the top eight of 2,000 U.S. nationals resulted in Scry existing. Most people don't know this story. So today, on Drive to Work. Okay, so um, this story is all about a man named Aaron Forsyth who created Scry. Um, so let me walk you through how he went from uh, being in a top eight and winning by a top deck to uh, making Scry. <laughs> okay, so what happens is Aaron is playing in U.S. Nationals. I think U.S. Nationals was in Florida. For a bunch of years, um, we used to have U.S. Nationals uh, at the Worldwide Sports Center uh, down in Anaheim. Not, not, uh, not in Anaheim, sorry, down in... Um, Orlando. And so I'm pretty sure that's where this one took place, uh, if I remember correctly. I think this took place down there. Um, okay, so what happened is um, Aaron was playing a mono green deck. I'm trying to remember. I, I know it, uh, the basis of the deck, the, the, the MVP of the deck was Deranged Hermit, which was a card I made many years ago uh, that made, it had, uh, it had Echo, I think. It came in play and made squirrels, and then it boosted squirrels. Um, but anyway, it was one probably the probably the strongest squirrel card I've ever made. So anyway, Aaron was pl- I don't even know who he was playing, but he was in the quarterfinals. So the thing about U.S. Nationals or all Nationals is that the top four people make the team. So at U.S. Nationals, making top eight is cool, but really it's about making top four because top four is what gets you to the team. So Aaron was playing in his quarterfinal match and. This mattered a lot because, really, the winning this match meant you got on the national team. I mean, winning all of them meant you get to be a U.S. national champion. He didn't do that. Uh, John Finkel. So, for those who don't know, the year 2000 is the year that John Finkel managed to win U.S. nationals um, and the world championship and the world team championship all in one year. But we'll get there. Um, anyway, so Aaron is playing against... I'm not sure who his opponent is, but playing somebody in the top eight and... Um, it's a really close game. It comes down to the... I think they're tied. It comes down to the final... It's the final game in, in a tied match. And um, Aaron needs... I, I'm not even sure what card he needs exactly. I've heard Aaron saw the story, but I remember the details of the card. But Aaron needs some card, and at the last possible moment, he draws it and, and it manages to win the game, get on the U.S. team. Um, then later that year, he's in Brussels because Nationals that year... I'm, I'm sorry, not Nationals. Uh, Worlds that year was in Brussels. And the way the team event worked was it was four on four, 
Um, but if there was a tie, because there was four, uh, the team captains would play off. So what happened was John Finkel, uh, they're playing again in the finals. It's the U.S. versus Canada. And John Finkel is playing, who's he playing? Ryan, um, what's Ryan's last name? I'm blinking on his last name. He's playing um, a, a pro player named Ryan, okay, he will come to me, uh, who was a very, very good player. Um, and anyway, but the deck matchups were in John's favor, and it's John Finkel. Um, so John wins his game. And then the other two people lose their game. So it's now down to Aaron. If Aaron wins this game, then John gets to do the playoffs against, against Ryan in the finals. But if not, then they lose. So Aaron, once again, gets, gets all, you know, Aaron, it, it comes down to Aaron being able to win. And he pulls it out. He wins. John wins in the, in the, um, in the tiebreaker. And the U.S. wins. U.S. national champions. Uh, and from there, that sort of opened up... Um, you know, Aaron went from being somebody that, yeah, you know, occasionally played in pro tours to being, you know, on the U.S. the winning U.S. national team, uh, and that really opened up a lot of doors. Allowed him to do writing. Uh, the writing eventually would let him do editing. So he eventually sort of parlayed that into uh, a part-time job where he was editing a magic website. I remember the magic website, but he was editing a magic website. That caught my attention because at the time, uh, in Around 2000, I was being asked by Bill Rose um, to put together a website for Magic. Magic didn't really have a website, nothing regularly. And so I put together the first version of MagicTheGathering.com. That's when Making Magic started, Latest Development started, House of Cards. Anyway, um, and I was looking for an editor. So um, I went and looked at all the different Magic sites to see people that, because I needed somebody that I knew could edit a Magic site. Um, and I looked and I found a bunch of different people. Um, in fact, I ended up finding three candidates I thought were good candidates. Um, but one of which was Aaron. Aaron really impressed me. He had done some editing and he'd done some writing and I liked his writing. I liked his editing. And I like, I thought Aaron. So it turns out the other two people didn't end up working out, but Aaron, I called Aaron up and I said to Aaron, I go, you know, might you be interested at working at Wizards? And Aaron, yeah, I, I think... I'm not sure whether he said yes right away or he talked to his wife first. Uh, he and Ann might have discussed it. But eventually he called and said, yes, I am interested. Um, and there was a lot of rigmarole. Um, at the time, technically, it wasn't the, the position didn't report to me. So I wasn't hiring it. It was in online media. But I was the person sort of in charge of content. So I needed to work very closely with this person. So I kept pushing for Aaron. And eventually, eventually, Aaron got hired. It, it, it's a longer story than that. But eventually, Aaron got hired. So anyway, so the first couple of years that Aaron worked at Wizards, he was the editor-in-chief of MagicTheOther.com, the very first editor of the website. Um, and then for Fifth Dawn, I came up with an interesting idea. Um, I don't know, maybe I didn't come up maybe, maybe Randy came up with it. But anyway, somebody came up with the idea of, wouldn't it be cool to put Aaron on a set, on a design, so that he could write about it? So that, you know, and Aaron obviously was a pro player. We, we felt like Aaron, you know, definitely knew magic that, you know, he'd contribute to the team. But the reason we stuck him on the team really was we wanted to sort of create the opportunity for him to write about it. Um, now, interestingly, the team, it was an interesting team fifth on. So the t- team was me, Randy Bueller, um, Aaron, and a guy named Greg Marks, who I had met at a pro tour who had made his own, made his own set. 
Now, normally, I can't look at sets if someone makes their own set. But for some random reason at that Pro Tour, our lawyer, for the one time ever, went to a Pro Tour and was just there. And I somehow was able to talk to my talk to the lawyer and say, can I look at this? And for whatever weird uh, series of events, somehow I was allowed to look at it. And I liked it. And I ended up... Um, putting Greg on a set. So Greg also, so the, the, the team was me and Randy and Aaron and Greg, although Greg was long distance. He didn't work at Wizards. He would later work at Wizards, separate story. Um, anyway, so the problem we had during Fifth Dawn was, Fifth Dawn was the third set in the Mirrodin cycle. So Mirrodin had uh, a few issues, if you know your history. Uh, Mirrodin and Darksteel kind of broke standard, like mega broke standard, like probably the only format that broke standard more than Mirrodin was Urza Saga. And if you don't think about Urza Saga, that's a, that's a, that's a low bar to clear. Um, or high bar, sorry, high bar, high bar to clear. Um, or it's a low bar. Anyway, whatever, whatever. whether it depends whether you're, you're, you're going under it or over it, respectfully. Um, but anyway, um, it, we, Fifth Dawn was in a weird place, which was we had done a lot of things in, um, We'd done a lot of things in the first two sets that I was told, like, hey, 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 you know those things? Yeah, don't do those things. So I was allowed, for example, to sort of have a little bit of mechanics, but, like, I couldn't make an affinity card that was any good, and I wasn't supposed to, you know, like, like they're like, well, all these major themes you did, yeah, let's pull back on that. So my team and I had this really weird challenge of kind of, making a set that fit in the environment, but it was completely different. Um, now, Aaron actually came through. In fact, both mechanics from the set Aaron came up with. Uh, one was Sunburst, which was our answer for, hey, here's a completely different things you can do with artifacts. Play lots of colors. Um, but the other was a little mechanic called Scry, which is today's topic. Um, Aaron was really interested in the idea. Aaron is a, a, a spike at heart. I mean, he... He wanted to get a mechanic that sort of um, was kind of was doing a lot of sort of subtle work and helping you just get the things you needed. Um, and I remember when I first saw Scry, I was a little bit worried. It was a little too, like, I understood what it was doing. And I, re I realized that it had a valuable, so like it was doing something. But I, my worry at the time was that it'd be so subtle that people wouldn't quite get what it was doing. Um... But I, I always like to play test stuff and like, okay, it's not, it seemed interesting. And I, I, I generally liked what I was doing. Um, my issue was more about perception than it was about actually, I think when you actually played the mechanic, it was fun. It, it, you know, it, it uh, does what we call deck smoothing, which is it just sort of helps you sort of get to the cards you need to get to, helps your mana, helps you sort of draw the, if you have combos or things that need to go get. If you have synergy, it helps you get your synergy. Um, and anyway, we played it. It was fun. So we ended up putting it in the set. And to my surprise, uh, people did get it. I, I was a little worried to be a little too subtle. Uh, what I found was the experienced players for sure understood it because it was, it, was, it was actually a really good mechanic. It just actually helped you. You know, it, it, it smoothed out everything. And even players that didn't quite get the nuance of it, in general, hey, they liked looking at cards that were coming up. They, they did get a sense of, I'm, I'm making things better. And so people liked it. It was a popular mechanic. So, Fifth Dawn came out, Scry, very popular. Um, now, if, you, if you'd asked me in, at, back then and there if, you know, 
there's not that many mechanics, for example, that we've done four or more times, that we've brought back three different times. Scry is one of them, which we're talking about today. But there's not a lot of mechanics to do that. Did I know when Scry got made that it was one of those mechanics? I did not. Um, but, so it, the first time it got brought back is we were doing Time Spiral Block, which was two years later. So um, Fifth Dome was part of Mirrodin Block. Then we have Champions of Kamigawa Block. Then we had Ravnica Block. Oh, so three years later. Then we had Time Spiral Block. Um, so Time Spiral Block had this uh, block. We were, I had taken over as head designer as of Ravnica, and I was very into block planning. So I came up with this idea of the past, the present, the future. Um, so Future Sight was all about the future. So what I wanted to do for each of the sets is pick a returning mechanic because the theme was, there's a nostalgia theme obviously running through Time Spiral. I don't know. Um, and so the first set to represent the past, I brought back Flashback. Like the, the, the name, it just felt like I'm, I'm looking to the past to, to find things. That set felt really past. For the present, we took Fading, we re revamped it, called it Vanishing. But the idea is I have something, it's not here for a long time, while wow, I'm living in the present. It's not going to be here, you know, wasn't here last turn, won't be here in a couple turns, but it's here now, make use of it now. That felt very present to me. And then for the future, I like the idea of scry, because for those that don't know, the word scry means to look into the future. Um, the idea of scry, the mechanic, is you are sort of looking into the future and helping make decisions based on your knowledge of the future so that you improve the future for yourself, is the flavor. Um, now, we did a couple things in Future Sight. One is we started messing around a little bit more. Future Sight had this theme of mixing and matching. Uh, and I really was interested in sort of combining Scry with different things. So the first thing that we did is I think this is when we turned it into a keyword action. Uh, originally, when we made it, it was just Scry and it was just it was a, a normal keyword. Um, but then we realized it was a little more interesting and we could do more with it if we turned it into a keyword action, which is like a verb, like a fight is a keyword action. Um, and the idea is a keyword action just you use as an action that happens. Uh, and so that ended up letting us do a little bit more with it. Now, for those who don't know, the way that Scry works is you always do things in the order you read them. So, for example, if it says Scry 2 and then it says draw a card, what that means is I first look at the top two cards in my library. I can put the two cards wherever I want, on bottom, on top, one of each. Um, and then after I'm done, I draw a card. Now, if, the, if it said draw a card, scry to, what I would do is I would first draw a card, then I would look at the top two cards and scry and figure out what I want to do. Um, traditionally, what we tend to do is if, the, if a second effect on the card matters with scrying, we'll put scrying in the order so that it, it, it can interact with it. So, for example, if you're going to draw a card, usually you scry first before you draw. Um, the other big trick we did with scry is sometimes we reveal the top card of your library and then care about some quality of that card but we let you scry first so you can set that up. So let's say I do something where you're doing damage equal to converted mana cost at the top card of your library. Well, if I give you scry three first, you can set it so the highest cost card that you have of the top three is now on top of your library. Um, so the other thing that's funny is a little trivia for you. Once we made a keyword action out of scry, the way we fixed it is we went back to future site and that's so fifth on and we added a period. So for example, um, in Fifth Dawn, you know, if, if there was a card that said Scry 2, in Fifth Dawn it just said Scry 2. But we went back and now in Oracle it says Scry 2, period. Um, so if, if you ever want to ask a little trivia question, which is name, name a series of cards that got errated with punctuation, uh, the answer is the Scry cards in Fifth Dawn. Okay, so we used them in Future Sight. They made a lot of sense. Um, we definitely played around with kind of how you can interact with it. 
it was pretty useful. Um, I think I was even happy to describe the second time I used it in Future Sight, just because I started to realize all the things you could do with it. Okay, so now we flash forward to Magic 2011. So Eric Lauer, this is one of the early sets that Eric Lauer led. Um, and so Magic 2010 was what Aaron had done the year before. He'd reinvented the core set. He started putting new cards in it and just really introduced a new kind of core set. Well, one of the things that Eric thought when he did 2011 was that he was having some problem um, with some deck smoothing issues. He needed a deck smoothing thing. And at the time, the core sets just used old cards. And so Eric was like, well, could I bring back a mechanic? You know, could I have, you know, could the core set, you know, not make a new mechanic, but could it just bring back an old mechanic? And so he decided to bring back um, Scry. Um, and, and not only did he bring back Scry, but it sort of created this new, this new thing for the core set. The core set now would bring back a mechanic every year. And so in future years... Bloodthirst and Convoke and Slivers and they would bring back different things to, to use in the core set. But the first one was Scry. And it was because Eric Eric loved Scry. Um, and the reason Eric loved Scry is I think he figured out that one of the things that Scry does really, really well is it helps synergistic sets. That if you want, if you have a lot of things that come together, a lot of pieces, but what you want is you want to draw the pieces so the pieces can go together. And Scry is just really good for just helping you get to the things you want to get to. It helps your mana. It helps spreading synergy. It just, it just sort of, it's one of those pieces that just makes the game play better. And it does it in a way that's a little bit subtle, that you don't quite realize quite what it's doing, but it just makes things play better. So Magic 2011, Eric put it in. Uh, it became, you know, the standard for core sets bring back mechanic. All went well. It was much beloved. Okay, so we flash forward a couple years to Theros. So I had led Theros, uh, and in Theros I had a big theme of gods, heroes, and monsters. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to do was I liked the idea of growth, that if you're a hero, you go on a journey, um, and that you become better of yourselves. Um, and that not only did the heroes grow, but the monsters grew, and the, the gods grew, that... Um, you know, the heroes had the heroic mechanic that the more you targeted, the more effects you could make. The gods, I'm sorry, the monsters had monstrous, which allowed you to sort of upgrade one time into a bigger monster. And the gods had devotion that the more followers you found, the bigger your effects could be. And, and you know, the gods themselves required a certain amount of devotion to, to, to sort of become creatures. Um, and so I sort of made this high synergy set and I handed it over to Eric. Uh, and what Eric found was, because a lot of what I was doing was, it was all about building up, and you needed the pieces to build up. And what Eric was finding was that it just wasn't happening quite quick enough, um, and he needed some way to sort of make the synergy come together. And so he looked to Scry. Now, normally when someone adds a mechanic to a set, they'll come to, you know, the developer will come to the designer and say, hey, look, I'm doing something, I just want to sort of loop you in. So he came to talk to me and he said, how do you feel about Scry going in the set? Um, now, A, I understood what he was trying to do was, you know, knead together a lot of the synergy that I put in. But also, the ancient Greeks, this is the top-down Greek mythology set, were very, very much about telling the future, about soothsaying and omens and, and scrying. So the idea of bringing Scry into a, a top-down Greek set was super, they lots of sense. 
And so I was like, wow, that, that is a slam dunk suggestion. You know, I understand how it helps the problem you're trying to solve, and it's a super flavorful fit for a top-down world. Um, so I was all in, and Eric brought it in, and Theros just played wonderfully. Um, so, so flash forward a year or two more, we're, for Magic Origins, we decided we wanted to change up some things, some evergreen stuff. Um, Intimidate was causing us some problems. It was really, the swing of it was like, oh, is my opponent playing a certain color? Wow, it's really hard to deal with. Um, and both Intimidate and Landwalk had a higher variance than we wanted. So the idea was we were going to place Intimidate with Menace, and we were going to place Landwalk with Prowess. Uh, Prowess had been introduced in Kanzatark here. Um, we had been looking for a red-blue overlap. We really liked how it played, and so we were taking... The other thing we were doing, though, is we were going to downgrade protection from an evergreen mechanic to a deciduous mechanic, meaning it could, we weren't killing it, but it was going to show up a lot less frequently than it did. And that meant we, we, we had a slot for evergreen. In general, one of the things we try to do is we try to keep a, a cap on how many evergreen mechanics we have. Uh, and so we kind of knew when we, had, we were downgrading um, protection that we had a little bit of an opening for, for something. And so Eric, I, I, I believe it's Eric. If anybody suggested this, I think Eric did. Because Eric, no one loves Scribe more than Eric. I think it was Eric that suggested that, what if we just made it evergreen? Uh, and Eric's argument was, look, we're always trying to find deck-smoothing mechanics. And look, we could keep reinventing the wheel every time, or we could just take the one that's the best one we've ever found, that's both flavorful and plays well, and is beloved by players, and just put it in. Um, you know, make it a keyword, you know, it's a keyword action, but put it into the keyword action. Um, there was a lot of debate about it. Um, usually the keywords, the evergreen keywords we use, mostly are creature keywords. Um, but we, we got what Eric was saying, and there's a lot, you know what I'm saying, he, he made some really strong points. Um, and so after, after a bunch of discussion, it wasn't just a slammed on yes. Um, I think for an idea, for example, we were playing the Intimidate with Menace, you know, was a much easier sort of discussion. Um, but the adding scry was something that was a little bit different. But if, as we walked through the reasoning, and I, I got on board pretty quick. I, 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 I believed what Eric was saying, and I did see the value of adding it. Um, but anyway, we brought it in. My big issue when we brought it over was I just wanted to make sure that we sort of looked at the color pie. And my take on it was I think every color can have access to scry, but I don't think every color is supposed to have access to scry on an equal basis. Um, but evergreen mechanics aren't equal on color. You know, like, first strike's white and red. Everyone's in a blue moon and black. But yeah, you don't see first strikers in blue and green, for example. That just because something's evergreen doesn't mean that every color has access to it. Um, so the ground rules we laid down was everybody, every color did have access. Everybody could do scry one. That everybody, just like everybody can do can, a cantrip, uh, you know, draw a card when you play the spell. Um, we gave everybody access to scry one. But what we said is, look, the, the dominant scry color, the color that makes the most sense with scry is blue. Blue's all but information. Blue's the one that's, you know, likes to sort of, you know, blue's the smart color that's, that uses advanced information. And scry plays directly into what blue is doing. So blue gets scry more often and gets higher scry numbers. Um, thematically, number two was white from a color pie philosophy standpoint. White is very much about structure and planning. Um, and it makes sense. The tricky thing there is white's not really a card drawing color. Now, I'll give you, scry's not card drawing. Um, so we, we let white have some scry. I think black, 
um, is probably number three. Black also, from a flavor standpoint, also does a bit of like dark magic, sort of looking at the future type stuff. So there's some stuff there we played around with. Um, green, when we do it, we tend to play around with the idea of sort of wisdom. Green definitely is a color that sort of looks to the past to see what it can learn um, and that we can play in the sort of the wisdom space. Red is the trickiest because the idea of red planning head at all is really not super red. That's why we keep red scry, usually just scry one. Um, but every once in a blue moon, sometimes we, we've made cycles. And, but red is access. We don't do scry a lot in red, but red can do scry. Um, okay, the next thing is once we made scry evergreen, there was another uh, scry evolution, which is the mulligan. So I know we've been trying to fix the mulligan for a little while. Um, so way back in 1996, I think, uh, we introduced the Paris Mulligan, um, which the Paris Mulligan is, if you don't like your hand, you can redraw, but you get one less card. That was the Paris Mulligan, made by Matt Hyra, by the way. Um, and we had been meaning to update it. It had been years and years since we updated it. And um, one of the things, I know they tried a whole bunch of different things. Um, and one of the things that Eric actually liked the best was the idea that it's the Paris Mulligan, but with the rider that you get a scry if you at all turn in your hand. The problem was when scrying was not a normal thing, not an everyday thing, it was hard to do that. It just felt weird. Um, and we said, well, maybe we don't call it scrying. Maybe we just spell it out. Um, but then once we made scry evergreen, once it was like, oh, scry is just going to be a thing, we're like, oh, and then we can just have the scry mulligan. Like, we need to tell you you can scry, because scry is going to be something we make people learn. Um, and I don't know, I think the scry mulligan predated, like, I don't know how much influence it had. In, I, don't, I think we chose it to be evergreen because we wanted it to be evergreen. But I think one of the small pluses of doing that is we realized that we then could do the mulligan. So I don't think the mulligan was really the thing that tipped it over or anything, but it was a nice little bonus when we realized that we could do that. Um, so anyway, I'm almost to work. So a few quick... Uh, questions for you for people that might not know. A few little things you may not know about scry. Number one, um, can you scry for, or if you scry for zero, what happens? If you scry for zero, nothing happens. Uh, you don't get a look at zero cards. Uh, so scry, there's sometimes you can scry for X and you can pick X. Scrying for zero, for all sense of purpose, doesn't do anything. Um, and um, like I said, you can do them in sequence. So remember, whenever you read it, remember that. Um, if sentence one says scry, then you do the scry first. If sentence two says scry, then you do whatever sentence one is before you scry. Um, and that's how you... Usually, by the way, you'll notice that if at all scrying matters, we tend to have you scry first if manipulating your deck matters to the other effect. Um, but every once in a while, there's things that go the other way. Um, okay, the other question people often ask is, can you put all of the cards on the top? So let's say it's scry four. Can I put all four cards on the top or all four cards on the bottom and not put some on the others? The other? Yep. Yes, you can. Um, when we say put any number on the top or bottom, um, any number, if you want to put all on the bottom, but all on the top, you can do that. Um, that is allowable. So anyway, I'm driving up to work right now. So that, my friends, is probably more than you, well, maybe some of you wanted to know about Scribe. You said you wanted to have podcasts about, about uh, uh, things. But anyway, that is my podcast on Scribe. So like I said, I... Scry to me is one of the great mechanics. When you ask us sort of like what are top 10 uh, mechanics of all time, um, Scry falls in that list to me. That it, it really ended up being this, like I said, 
it both does really good things for gameplay, it creates interesting decisions, and it's just flavorful. Like a lot of mechanics we make that are sort of effects are kind of gender, I mean, flavor uh, neutral. Um, and this one is not. This one has lots of flavor. But anyway, that, my friends, is all about Scry. So once again, if you guys enjoy this, let me know. I'm, maybe I'll do some more uh, mechanic podcasts. But uh, I am now sitting at work. I actually had a uh, quick drive in today. So anyway, um, thank you guys for joining me. And as we all know, this is the end of my drive to work. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.